Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I am your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I am doing a special Friday Q&A to finish up the questions that were sent earlier this week that I did not get to on Wednesday's episode. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, this Q&A episode of the Locked on Falcons podcast is brought to you by MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Use the promo code LOCKEDON at MyBookie.ag for up to 100% deposit bonus. I know on the previous episode I promised a, a Q&A or a Fan Friday, and um, I couldn't coordinate the schedules to get that done. But uh, So I apologize for anybody who downloaded this without looking at what this was thinking it was going to be a Fan Friday. You're not going to get a Fan Friday. Uh, you'll get a Q&A Friday, um, Mailbag Friday, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, fans are asking questions, so it's close enough, right? So uh, these were questions that were either sent in on Tuesday or Wednesday. If they were sent in on Wednesday, I didn't get them on time for the Wednesday show because I record that on Tuesday afternoons. And some of them were sent on Tuesday, but I just either overlooked them or they, they were sent in while I was recording the episode, so I didn't get to them. Um, also want to give you guys a heads up. We're doing the pro football focus edge giveaway. I will give you the details on how you can win a free pro football focus edge account at the ends of the show. So let's get into it. Hopefully this one won't be as long as the last one. Um, I don't think it will be, but we'll see. Uh, Charlie Rogers 68 asks, uh, good friend of mine, Charlie Rogers been on the fan Friday. So let's, let's start a a fan Q and a Friday with, uh, his question. The P.I. and Alfred look questionable, as did the roughing call on Jarrett. What does the film say? I didn't have an issue with the Jarrett call. I, I think he took some steps. You know, I'm, I understand why people are upset of it, but, you know, if it would have been the shoe was on the other foot, I don't think anybody would have complained about that Jarrett call. The P.I. live, it didn't look like an issue to me, but we watching the film from the high angle. It did look like he sort of uh, Alfred turned. Jakeem Grant, I think, was the receiver when he was trying to break outside and he sort of impeded his movement and turned him a little bit. It wasn't like blatant again, but if you're the side judge or whoever it was who threw the flag and you see it, it it's pretty hard not to throw the flag in that instance because it does look like he's impeding his movement and turning him. Um, so, yeah, if the, official, like if the official hadn't seen it, then I could understand him not calling it. But if he's locked in on it as he's supposed to be, yeah, it's a flag. Um, so I didn't have a problem with those two flags. Um, Steve Barnes at Steve Barnes nineteen seventy eight on Twitter asks. He's got three questions. They're all sort of related, so I'll, I'll mention them all right now. He has podcast question: How much of the playbook that Sark is working with is what was put in place by Shanahan? Uh, second question is: Is Sark afforded opportunities to adjust the playbook, and would Sark be more successful with a playbook he's more comfortable with or accustomed to? I don't really know the answers to these questions, Steve. Uh, I can't necessarily look at the plays that the Falcons are running today and being like, oh, yeah, that's exactly the same play that they ran in like week 7 or 12 last year. They look similar, 
But I, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're the same offense, but they look similar enough where I wouldn't necessarily, you know, I, I think we're haggling on differences. Like, I don't think the route combinations are the same. Uh, it does seem like they don't run the stretch play quite as much as they did under Shanahan, but maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I'm not cataloging things correctly. And obviously there's less emphasis on the play action, but um, yeah, I, I guess that would be the answer to your first question they're similar if you wanted me like a to put a number on it like i don't know 70 90 percent somewhere in there the majority of it I, w- I would guess to your second question i would guess yes i do think sark was probably afforded opportunities to make adjustments i'm sure there were things that matt ryan you know when he met with matt ryan throughout this offseason and, and into the season there's things that matt ryan liked about the offense that he said we got to keep this and there were things about uh, the Shanahan offense that he didn't necessarily find too thrilling, and, and Sark was like, we're going to scrap it. So, you know, I, I imagine there were adjustments, but yeah. So uh, to your third question, I I don't know if there's really an offense that Sark is comfortable in. Um, I think that was part of the thing that all offseason when people were saying things like, oh, Sark prefers this, like, you know, for example, two tight end sets. And I was like, sort of like, what is that based off of? Like, he ran one type of offense, a West Coast-based offense under Pete Carroll at USC. He ran a variation of that offense through the first few years at Washington when he was the head coach there and Jake Locker was the quarterback. Then they sort of shifted more towards and and, and evolved more into an up-tempo sort of spread offense his last couple of years. And then he ported that offense over to USC uh, when he became the head coach there. And then he was just basically running the Lane Kiffin offense, which was a version, which was a, I guess, a, Lane Kiffin ran the offense at USC prior to Steve Sarkeesian. So, you know, I don't know how similar Lane Kiffin's Alabama offense was to his USC offense, but I imagine they're, you know, West Coast-based offense type of things. So, you know, Sark's offense, Sark's, you know, the familiarity, he's rooted in the West Coast system. But, you know, the West Coast system has evolved so much over the last 40 years since Bill Walsh invented it, you know, the only real similarities that ties one version of the West Coast offense to another is verbiage and terminology, not necessarily like identity and and sort of play style and whatnot. So, um, you know, I don't know if he was bringing his system, his system to Atlanta, it would matter that much because I don't know if his system emphasis on his you know, I think it's something that he sort of cherry picked over the years and and has evolved. And I think that was one of the reasons why Dan Quinn hired him because he doesn't really have a a defined system. You know, he ran a similar system to Shanahan's um, and and what the Seahawks currently run during his earliest days at USC. And and sort of that was the foundation where his subsequent offenses were built off of. But I, I think one of the reasons why Quinn wanted him is because he had that malleability to sort of adapt his own system and or to run somebody else's system. Now, you know, if we're projecting forward and we're, we're talking about, you know, Sark retaining his position uh, and, you know, there's no reason to think that that won't be the case right now. Um, I think this is going to be a little bit of an evolving process over the next year or so um, as he sort of develops and, and hones um, his craft in the NFL. And, you know, we talk about that NFL learning curve. Uh, one of the things I said on Monday show and I th- said throughout the offseason was that I think there is that learning curve. And, I, you know, the idea that someone could just basically show up in the NFL 
without a honed and developed system and produce a high level elite offense was kind of, you know, I think a little bit of a stretch for people, but you know, we talked about it. Like that was something that people sort of needed to to buy into. Um, You know, like I, I would give an example, like Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly developed his own system at New Hampshire and Oregon for almost 20 years prior to coming to the NFL. Um, You know, basically when you think about it in that way, like that system had grown up, graduated from high school and gone to college by the time he ported it over to the NFL. And and so that's why you could sort of see him have that initial success in the NFL. And then, of course, because NFL defensive coaches coach too and get paid a lot of money to coach too. And, you know, Wade Phillips and Dom Capers and Mike Tomlin and all those guys exist. You know, they were able to catch up eventually and, and sort of, you know, do their own jobs and, and sort of um, catch up to that system. But, you know, Sark basically, as as far as I understand, he only called plays in college for eight years and operated sort of three variations of a similar offense. And so essentially, if you want to continue that analogy of the college thing, like his offense is still in elementary school from what his offense is. So I wouldn't necessarily feel like, oh, he could take that, whatever he was running at USC in Washington, and then bring that to the NFL and find the success that I think we're all talking about. Um, you know, like if he had developed that system for eight years in the NFL, that's a different conversation, you know, but eight years in college, like you're not seeing anywhere close to the the complexities in terms of defense that you're seeing in, in, in the pros. All right, before we get to the next question, I got to say that I always have plenty of people asking me for betting advice. They ask me, are the Falcons going to win? Who's going to cover this week? And I got to tell you this, guys. Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. That's why I'm always telling people to go to mybookie.ag. Use the promo code Locked On for up to a 100% deposit bonus. There are plenty of online sports books out there, but mybookie.ag is the only one that gets my stamp of approval because it's by far the best sports book I've ever used. Mybookie.ag has been in business for years. The reputation is rock solid. They do 100% cash bonuses. So right off the bat, you're making money for doing absolutely nothing. And they have the fastest payouts. Seriously, just two business days. You can have your own glitzy Las Vegas casino experience right from your smartphone. You know, borrowing from Randy Moss, straight cash homie. Go to mybookie.ag, place your bets. Tell them I sent you by using the promo code LOCKEDON. That's LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. You play, you win, you get paid. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop! At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS, wireless, figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. All right, let's continue with the Q&A. We got a question from Justin A. Wallace. He asks, is it play calling? Is it the offensive play calling or the execution? You know, surprise, surprise, I think it's both. I don't think the Falcons are really executing their plays, but you could also say the the play calling isn't necessarily putting guys in the best positions to do do so. Uh, For example, right, you can get mad at the toss play um, where, where Tevin Coleman lost eight yards in the fourth quarter because William Hayes, um, blew up the play. That was a play where Julio Jones was being asked to make the down block on William Hayes. He didn't make the down block, and and, and Hayes blew up the play. Um, you could certainly make the, a strong case that asking Julio to make that block in that situation is not the best usage of his skill. 
But then you could go back a week earlier against Buffalo, and they asked Justin Hardy to make a very similar block against Jerry Hughes. He made the block on a toss play to Tevin Coleman, this time to the left side as opposed to the right side, and it went for 26 yards. Hardy executed that play. Julio didn't. You know, so, again, I think it's, a, it's both. Yeah. So, um, as a general rule, I think it's both. I think generally I tend to, though, fall more on the side of execution. Um, because when I go back through my fandom, and, and outside of t- last year, outside of 2012 with the first year under Dirk Cutter, outside of Mike Malarkey's handling of the passing game with Matt Ryan in 2008, and maybe also 1998, um, it, it's I, I when I rack my brain, I, it's hard for me to remember the Falcons ha- operating a great offense. I thought, oh man, the play calling and, and, and whatnot is good. you know. And I've watched every Falcon game since 2005. I watched a good many of them in the late 90s and early 2000s. So, like, I remember, you know, every time the Falcons lose, 90% of the time, or, you know, maybe not 90% of the time, but certainly a majority of the time, you're going to hear people, whether you go on message boards or forums or radio shows, you're going to hear people blaming play calling. And when you hear that after every Falcons loss, it, it was like one of those things where it's like either the, you know, over 15 plus years of fandom, you know, either the Falcons have been the most unluckiest team when it comes to finding good play callers or that whole notion of play calling being to blame for the, why the team loses is kind of overrated. And I generally fell on the side of it being overrated. Um, and I just seeing it more as like a convenient scapegoat for people, you know, like I didn't like I could I can pick when they run versus when they pass. Of course, if you watch enough football, you should be able to guess, you know, it's like being able to claim that you're psychic because you can flip a coin and be able to guess whether it's heads or tails or something like that. You know, like, okay, if they're, if they're running this formation, there's a good chance if it's this down and distance, there's a good chance they're going to run the football in this situation. So that idea that people tend to have where it's like, oh, there's, their offense is so predictable because I can sit there on my couch and, and figure out when they're going to run the football. You know the defenses. Yeah. Like, you're not catching defenses by surprise. You know, like, that's one of those myths out there. But anyway, um, you know, I I would look around the league and you would see some great offenses. But I would always sort of liken it to um, having an elite quarterback. It's like, you know, okay, if you have this offensive coordinator, this head coach, yeah, you have great play calling and a great offense. But it's like having Tom Brady or, or Drew Brees at your quarterback. And the reality is only a handful of teams have those guys. And the rest of you still have to find a way to make do with a Matt Ryan or Donovan McNabb or a Cam Newton or an Andy Dalton or whatever. And so spending your entire life hoping and praying that you find the next Tom Brady is is probably sort of a little foolish. Um, so, like, for me, that was one of the reasons why I believe the execution mattered more. And so when I would struggle, when I would watch the Falcons struggle to execute plays that they were called, you know, I, I became a firmer believer in, in they need to acquire better talent and, and develop that talent. And so I was always more upset with the poor drafting, the poor free agent signings that were holding the team back more than, say, their play calling. And it's one of the reasons why I always tend to give Thomas Dimitrov a lot more, um, you know, I tend to blame him a lot more for the team's issues than probably your average fan. Um, but then, you know, 2016 happened. And that was really sort of the first time ever um, that I, I really understood, like, oh, this is what 
all those people were talking about with great play calling. We finally seen it in, in, in Atlanta for the first time ever. And it's one of the reasons, you know, as a side note, it's one of the reasons why I believe that, you know, when, when people would be like, oh, Kyle Shanahan is, is, is not to credit. People are giving Kyle Shanahan too much credit for Matt Ryan's success. And I'm like, no, they're not. Like, it's not to say that Kyle Shanahan made Matt Ryan into a good quarterback, but like prior to Kyle Shanahan, Matt Ryan was like a seven out of 10, right? And then all of a sudden in 2016, Matt Ryan's a 10 out of 10. And like, you know, some people sort of label me as a, as a Ryan hater for that. Um, but it's like when you've watched the all 22 of Matt Ryan play of every pass and every game he's played since 20, 2012, like you, you can't help but see some of the limitations that he has as a, as a quarterback. Like you can't help but see the times when he doesn't pull the trigger on this throw or he doesn't, you know, not because, or he doesn't see it or he doesn't, he knows he doesn't have the arm to make that throw and he doesn't pull the trigger. Like if Matt Stafford was in that situation, Matt Stafford would make that throw. Now that doesn't necessarily mean Matt Stafford's a better quarterback than Matt Ryan, but in certain situations there are, you know, there are things that are holding back Matt Ryan. And so you basically, you become a little bit more aware of his ceiling that I think if you don't watch the film, you can sort of operate under this false assumption that Matt Ryan is this elite quarterback every bit as good as the Tom Brady's and the Aaron Rodgers's of the world or the Drew Brees's of the world. Um, and so I think that, you know, the genius, the quote-unquote genius of Shanahan with last year's offense was basically to make, to allow Matt Ryan to overcome those issues and those limitations. You know, it's, it's similar to Kurt Warner. You look at Kurt Warner's career, he was a starting quarterback for like a decade in the NFL and outside of like those first two or three years in St. Louis and that one year in Arizona, he was a pretty mediocre starting quarterback for most of his career. And so it's kind of the same thing. It's the same thing with Carson Palmer. You look at like one or two years in Cincinnati and then like that what, 2015 in Arizona, you know, he's not amazing quarterback. He's a perfectly good quarterback, but it's like a similar um, you know, Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco's had five different offensive coordinators in the last five years and by far the year he served in the Gary Kubiak um, was his best one and the other years outside of you know that playoff run in 2012 when they went to the Super Bowl under Jim Caldwell he hasn't been good and it's like that notion that offensive coordinators don't enhance quarterback play look at Jared Goff right now like so like I look at that and everybody that you know sat there for most of the offseason saying like oh the play calling you know Kyle Shanahan's overrated and, and Matt Ryan's not getting enough credit for his success. Like, I think, you know, my personal opinion um, is I think all those people are sitting now, you know, with egg on their face, as, you know, seeing how wrong that conclusion that they came to. But, you know, that being said, I, I don't think it's to say that, you know, this offense right now is doomed to fail for the rest of the year. Um, but it's like, if this offense does start to perform up to expectations, it's not going to be because Matt Ryan worked really hard this off season or because Alex Mack has stabilized the offensive line. It's going to be because the play calling got better. Um, so, you know, I, I guess for me, for the rest of the year, I, I, my expectation for the rest of the year is going to be that the offensive play calling is going to be up and down. And I think we'll probably see against better defenses, it will be down. And against lesser defenses, it will be up. And I think that has everything to do with it's much easier to execute against a bad defense than it is against a good defense for obvious reasons. And I, and I, I would say I, I feel like we've been down this road before, so I'm not necessarily in the panic mode that other people are. But I understand, you know, there's other reasons for that. 
Um, because like outside of 2016, I, I think you could basically pick any year that the Falcons have been playing, and you'll see some version of this sort of inconsistency happening. Now, maybe lesser extent in previous years, and maybe we didn't have as much talent in other years, but I, I think it's it's going to lean a little bit more heavily on the on the players executing than necessarily out scheming teams um, for the rest of this 2017 season. And, and you know we'll find out a lot about this offense. I think this week because from from my money, it's like if they can't get 30 plus points against this weak Patriots defense, then I'm just going to be resigned to the the fact that we're just going to have a pretty mediocre off, offense for the rest of the season. And for me personally, that's going to mean putting a lot more pressure on the on the defense to sort of pick up the slack. And, and so I'll just warn you ahead of time right now that you're going to hear a lot more, you know, rapid reactions where I'm, I'm going in on the defense <laughs> um, for the rest of the year, if, if that's the case. Because, like, first, uh, personally, I'm just tired of hearing how the defense is coming together. We've literally been hearing that every single week, right? We That was the entire narrative that, um, pervaded this team last season since that week four Carolina game. It was every week. It was the, oh, the defense is coming together. The defense is coming together. And you, you guys that listened to this podcast back then know how much that annoyed me. And now, like we're seeing the defense make strides, and they may be a year away, and that 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 may be something that we find out as the season progresses. But it's one of those things where I'm tired of hearing how the defense is coming together. Finally, come together and, and start winning this team football games. I'm tired of hearing how how great our young talent and how how much of a genius Dan Quinn is for assembling all this great young talent. Okay, maybe he is. So go out there and win some football games for this team. Get some stops. Don't let Miami score 20 unanswered points. Yeah, I know, you know, a lot of that's on the offense as well, but it's it's one of those things like if you want to be a good football team, if you want to be you know, a team that can make it pretty far in in the season, you got to do something at a high level, and right now the offense isn't performing at a high level. So it's now up on the it's, a, it's now on the defense to start performing at a high level, or you know, we may be watching football from our couches in January. You know that that's what's really what's sort of at risk right now. But yeah, I hope that answers your question, Justin. I, I think I went way off the, off the rails with that one, so sorry. But uh, yeah, I think it's both execution and play calling. Evan Birchfield asks, who do you think missing from the Super Bowl will have a bigger impact, True or Gronk, Ken? Um, yeah, I think this is Gronk. Like, I, <laughs> I don't see how you could answer this. That's true. Love True. I certainly would have said, yeah, if we had True in that Super Bowl, we would have won the game. But that's because Gronk wasn't in the game. Um, you know, if Gronk had been in the game, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think there was any chance. Of, not any chance, but it would have been much, much harder to win that game. Um you know, because the way I see it is I don't think Trufant shutting down one of the Pats receivers is going to matter that much because, like, imagine he takes out Brandon Cooks. Well, they still have Gronk. They still have James White. They still have Amendola. They still have Hogan. Uh, he, You know, Tom Brady's going to find options for other guys. He's not, you know, if True could take out Gronk out of the game, then then I could sit there and say, oh, like, True's going to have a bigger impact. But, like, that's not really what's going to happen. Um, so, like, for me with Gronk, it's going to be interesting to see how Neil and Campbell match up with him if they can contain him you know i think gronk is going to eat but uh hopefully he it's a light meal it's you know it's a it's a salad with a uh baked chicken as opposed to you know an eight piece bucket of uh, fried chicken with mashed potatoes and, and red beans and rice or whatever um you know i think you know watching the film i, I think neil tends to 
have a little bit more troubles with the vertical routes. Um, and Campbell tends to have a little bit more trouble with the in-breaking and out-breaking routes because his, his hips are a little stiff. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how each of those guys matches up with Gronk because it's like certain routes are like, oh, yeah, I want Campbell on him. And other routes are like, no, nah, I think I want Neil on him. Um, I feel a little bit more comfortable with Neil at this point in time, personally. Um, but, you know, like if, if they're, if Gronk is running, you know, 35 routes in this game, I would be more comfortable with like Neil on him for, for 25 of those and, and Campbell on them for 10 or something. Some, some ratio where it's like two to one or something or three to two or something like that. Um, so yeah, I think the answer is Gronk. I, I expect Trufant to play very well, you know, but I don't think it's going to have as much an impact on on the outcome in this game as Gronk playing very well. All right, our last question comes from Riley Street. What are your thoughts on the special teams unit, or are are our issues based on Keith Armstrong luck or personnel beyond the specialists? I'm personally not a huge fan of Andre Roberts, especially as I personally rather see Turbo back there. But that's just my two cents. I'll be done with questions this week. I yeah, I don't have any thoughts on the special teams unit. Like I, I remember early, early, many, many years ago, or like three years ago, I guess I should say. It feels like much longer ago. But like watching the special teams and always be like weirded out by like, why is why did why is that guy playing? Or why did Keith Armstrong make that decision? And like as I've learned over the years of watching special teams, like I've learned to sort of appreciate what Keith Armstrong is doing. I don't necessarily always agree with some of the personnel decisions that he makes, like putting that guy in that spot or that spot, but I'm like he knows way more about this than I do, and I'll, I'll trust his opinion. And generally speaking, over time, I've, le- I've learned to appreciate it. So um, I wouldn't necessarily blame it on Keith Armstrong. Uh, you know, the the bad snap, that was just a bad snap. I, like, I don't even know what to say about that. It's like the first bad, like maybe the first or second bad snap Josh Harris has ever had. Like, I think he might have had a couple of iffy snaps um, during his rookie season. If I if I can go back that far in my memory banks, like I remember him being a little iffy during you know what was that 20, 2011, 2010, or whenever that was, um, but like other than that, he's been perfect. So I, I think that was just more you know that would be more attributed to luck. Um, the coverage units, you know, they are what they are. You know, the Falcons have gone through lost so many good cover guys over the years that I don't necessarily hold the current units to this high standard where, you know, you know, like Anton Smith was a great gunner. He's the best gunner I've seen this team have, you know, Eric Williams is obviously like, we all know how good he was in covering on kicks. You know, Derek Coleman has been sort of the guy for them right now through the season in, in terms of coverage and whatnot. You know, as for the returning stuff, like I don't, I don't spend too many brain cells. I didn't spend very many brain cells worrying about Eric Williams. Like most of the fan base, I don't spend too many brain cells worrying about Andre Roberts. I think this was something we talked about during the offseason. But, like, I think returners have been so marginalized by the league rules now, particularly on kickoffs, that, like, it's not even worth your time to really worry about returners. Like, yeah, if you have a if you have a Cordero Patterson or a Tyreek Hill, then, you know, then it matters. But, like, most of the data suggests that if the ball goes in the end zone, take a knee. Don't ever return a kick that goes into the end zone. You know, because the chances of you getting past 25 are much lower than it is just 100% of the time taking the 25 yards. Um, as for punts, you know, the big return certainly does wonders for field position, but they're so relatively rare that 
and, and, and punters are so good, you know, like the better returner you have as a punt returner, the less likely he's going to have an opportunity to return because punters are going to kick away from him. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like, it's like the better your returner is, the less effective he becomes in a lot of ways. Like I looked up the, I looked at the numbers today to answer this question, Riley, but so far this season, only 5% of kickoffs have gone more than 40 yards, right? Only 9% of punts have been returned more than 20 yards. I'm talking about returns. So, um, another interesting stat, there's been 35 fumbles on punts and 36 total returns of 20 or more yards. So you're just as likely to muff a punt as it is to get a big return. And so I think basically what now you have is like, basically what that tells me is unless you have a returner that's in that 90th percentile is essentially the equivalent of a Drew Brees or Tom Brady or even a Matt Ryan, if you want to throw him in there as, you know, at quarterbacks or, you know, the elite play caller, the Kyle Shanahan's, like unless you have that guy, on on a similar note as what I was referring to, then there's no point really worrying about it because chances are you don't have the guy. Chances are you have a guy that's not in the 90th percentile. You know, there's a 90% chance you don't. Um, And so I I think you're just really looking for someone who's decent, who doesn't fumble, who can consistently get you 10 to 15 yards per return on a punt return and, you know, is going to be smart enough to take a knee on kickoff returns. Um, and, and I think Roberts, you know, generally speaking, it, it checks most of those boxes. So I don't, I don't worry too much about it. You know, I think, yeah, I, I don't spend too much time worrying about the return situation. I, my suggestion to you is, is not to either. I know everybody wants, you know, the next Tyreek Hill or the next Devin Hester, but I just think spending energy and time worrying about that. You know, you bring in, you bring in the JD McKissicks the Marvin Halls of the world in the training camp. Maybe you stumble upon the next Jamal Agnew, who's the guy for the Lions who I think took one to the house on, on this past Sunday. Um, you hope you find that guy, but if you don't, then you just get someone who's decent. You get an Andre Roberts, you get an Eric Weems who can hold the job, and then hopefully next year you'll find the, you know, the next Jamal Agnew or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, that that's what I would say. So I, I'm not too worried about it. Those are my thoughts on special teams. All right, guys, this episode was brought to you by MyBookie.ag. Get into all the action at MyBookie.ag, where they will match your deposit up to 100% bonus. Use the promo code Locked On. All right, as usual, we, we, we are giving away the Pro Football Focus Edge account. Um, that's a $40 value. With that, you get player grades, snap counts, position rankings, fantasy projections, fantasy tools and charts, draft coverage, all that type of stuff. Uh, how do you win? Well, you go to iTunes, Locked On Falcons on iTunes. Uh, you leave a five-star review. You leave your Twitter handle in the review, and at the end of each week, you will be randomly selected uh, to win that Pro Football Focus Edge account. Um, if you do not win the Pro Football Focus Edge account, you can still stay in Locked On, the Pro Football Focus content on the Locked On Podcast Network by checking out Jeff Ratcliffe, the director of fantasy for Pro Football Focus, on Locked On Fantasy every Thursday. You can check out Mike Renner on Locked On NFL every Wednesday. All right, so now you're you're wondering. Oh, I listened to this entire Q and A. It wasn't an hour long episode. Uh, let's see how Aaron botches this outro. But I, I'm wondering how how do I submit my questions for the next Q and A, which will probably be next Wednesday. And um, 
You can do that by sending in your questions, as many people did on Twitter. Locked on Falcons is the show's Twitter handle. That's the easiest way of getting in touch. But some people did send their questions, like uh, Steve Barnes sent his question in to Falcons and noted that it was a podcast question. Falcons is my Twitter handle, and if you wanted to be a podcast question, as Evan Birchfield did and as uh, Steve Barnes did, you can just let me know in that tweet that it is a podcast related. But again, it's easier to just send it to Lockdown Falcons. If you don't like the character limits, if, if you're like Riley and you have uh, well-worded questions, um, then you can send them on Facebook, as Riley often does. The Facebook page is Locked on Falcons. You can also send an email. Riley has done that as well. Uh, it's LockedOnFalcons at Mail.com, M-A-I-L.com. Um, don't send it to the other mail. <laughs> that joke is only funny to me. Um Audioboom.com, Falcons.com, that's where the show is posted daily. You can also leave a comment there, and that's another way of getting your feedback in touch with the show. So um, we'll be back on Monday with a uh, rapid reaction. Tuesday, again, uh, uh, more in-depth recap. Wednesday's the All-22 review. Thursday's the preview in Crossover Pod. And Friday, we'll, we'll actually have a Fan Friday next week. I will make sure of that because I know you guys love that. Uh, just couldn't get the schedules coordinated this week. And, um, you know, I'm sure people will have some thoughts on, on the Patriots game as well. So uh, then, so that's the plan. And uh, we will look forward to the Jets game that looked like it was going to be the easiest game on our schedule uh, two months ago. But now actually might be a tough game. And hopefully the Falcons will give us all the confidence we should need to beat the New York Jets um, by beating the New England Patriots this week. But we'll see. So... Until then, guys, stay locked on. In brotherhood, rise up. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At MetroPCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to MetroPCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.